In your Bibles this morning, if you brought a Bible, if not, these words will be on the screen in a little bit. A couple things before I start, just to begin with, I just want to be faithful to the Lord. I don't feel like this is a profound word or anything, but it might be very profound to someone who's here. As we were worshiping this morning, I just felt like the Lord had a word for someone to remind you that there is hope. Uh, This doesn't have anything to do with current political or viral or racial things that our country is going through. This is something that is much more private, much more personal. And so if that's you this morning, I just feel like the Lord would say to you, there is hope that things look fairly bleak at the moment, but there are better days coming. Life will be good again. So that might be from the Lord. Now from Greg and maybe from the Lord too. I want to speak to you this morning just briefly about renewing your life in Christ. It's days like these that distract us from our depth of devotion. Um, It says in this verse that we're going to read in just a moment that Christ is our life, that He is our life. Paul says something like this, I have died to myself and I no, no, no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's that idea that once we become believers, we are no longer our own. We've been bought with a price, and now we are the Lord Jesus's. And He comes and He fills us with His Spirit, and He makes us His own. And I want to say, along with the apostle Paul, that Christ is my life. That He is my all in all. He is my greatest joy. He is my greatest desire. He is my greatest devotion. He is my greatest hobby. He is my greatest dream. He is my my all in all. He is my life. And I know many of you, if not all of you, would say the same thing. Yeah, Greg, that's what I want in my life. But this world in which we live wars against that day by day. And I think it's because the God we serve is is so intangible in many ways. We pray to a God that we don't see. We hear from a God in impressions. And it's just in so many ways our faith is is intangible, if you understand what I'm saying. But the world in which we live is so tangible. We have bills to pay. We have a house to paint. We have a mortgage that is due. We have to get along with our family and in-laws and people at work. And life is just so very real. And so sometimes, if we're not careful, we are affected greatly by the tangible. The Bible tells us to walk by faith and not by sight. And so we know that there's hope for those that are walking according to faith, that are following the Lord, that are reading His Word and obeying His Word and following after Him. God has done a a great thing in our hearts, and we know that that is a reality. But we war against that which is tangible every day, and so, so at times that life in Christ wanes. So that might be you today. 
That might be you where things are feeling just a little bit dry. You're just a little bit away from the Lord and you just like to draw just a little bit closer. You want to say today with others, Christ is my life. And so I want to just share just a few things with you over the next few moments that I think will help you draw near in these days. As I think about the war that we face with the, the flesh and the world, those things that are so, so tangible, seemingly. I think back on this story that I've shared many times, and perhaps I've shared it even here before, but it was from a long, long time ago. This is, this is um, not long after Sandy and I were married. We were in our 20s, and we began taking these trips with our children to the uh, Boundary Waters Canoe Area. The Boundary Waters Canoe Area is that area between northern Minnesota, in northern Minnesota and the southern border of Canada. It's, it's a bunch of lakes and portages in between, and we would, we would go and we'd commonly take a route of about 45 miles, and you'd paddle across lake, do a portage, paddle across another lake, do a portage, paddle across. And of course, you bring all your food and all your supplies with you, and you're backpacking all that in and backpacking everything out. Well... We had two kids at the time. Uh, Sandy and the two kids came along with me with a group of uh, eight or nine other people. Now, I took our boys, our, our second boy and our first boy that we had at this time, for many years, probably, probably 20 years into the future. We just go every year. But uh, Sandy and our girls would not go. They didn't enjoy it as much as the, the boys did. Kind of, you know man against nature sort of thing. On one of these trips, we were on one side of the lake and we had to make it to the other side because that was going to be our camp. It was getting to be later in the afternoon. A storm was brewing and we knew we had to get to the other side of the lake, do our portage, and then on the next lake, that's where we were going to camp. And so we were heading across this lake and as we're looking across the lake, you can see the white caps breaking on the water. And we're in canoes that are loaded down for a week-long trip. I mean, in Sandy and I's canoe, we have two kids and all our supplies for the week. And we're looking across at these waves breaking, and we're thinking, we're not going to make it across here. But you know how it is. You stand there on the shore, and you think, you know what? I think we can make it. So one by one, I think we had four or five canoes, one by one we launch out, and the strongest guys went first. And so they take off across the lake, and they're paddling against the wind, and the waves are breaking over the front of the canoe and in the canoe, but they make it to the other side. The next team, after they make it, the next team has enough courage that they go across as well. And man, they are digging in, trying to make it to the other side. The wind is against them. They make it to the other side. The third people go across, and they don't make it. The wind catches them, and they just don't have enough strength to make it to the other side. And the wind catches them and starts pushing them sideways, but they are able to, to uh, get to an island where they stay until the end of the day when things get calmer, then they're able to come back. And then the last group doesn't even attempt to make it across. So there's two groups on the other side waiting for the other groups to come. And like I said, once things died down, they made it across. You know, our Christian life is often like that. It's often like paddling into the wind. You know, that if you're not moving forward, you're often moving backward. 
Like if you're not digging in, you're not paddling, you're probably moving, you're probably moving backward. It's like, it's like going up the down escalator. You know, you've got to be walking pretty good up the down escalator or else you're going to be going down. It's like these early apostles when Jesus came out walking on water, it says, and they were straining against the oars because the wind was contrary. I think this is a beautiful picture of our life in Christ, that there is a certain amount of strenuous effort that needs to happen so that we can stay close to the Lord. Because the world is against us, always pushing against us. And so there are just some things, I think, that we need to do to stay close to Him. And these are these few things I want to share with you this morning. So in our verse this morning, this is in Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1, it says this, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ... Keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. I want you to notice first in this verse, it says, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ. Now when we see therefore in the Bible, we realize that that the writer has said something earlier that he's referring back to. Therefore, and we see this back in chapters 1 and 2 now in many of Paul's writings, especially here in Colossians, it's also true in Ephesians. Paul, in the first half of the book, chapters 1 and 2, is talking very doctrinally or theologically, telling, telling them about their place in Christ. And in chapters 3 and 4, he's talking very practically about how they should respond to these things which they've, which they've heard uh, doctrinally. And so Paul is saying in chapter 1 that we have been raised up with Christ. And this is how he describes it. He uses these three words. The first one found in verse, this is in verse 13, for those of you that might be following along or taking notes. This is in uh, verse 13, verse 14, and verse 21. These three words. That's chapter 1. These three words. The first word is this. That we have been rescued. We have been rescued. I find that it's hard for us to understand the blessing and beauty and depth of importance of rescue unless we've really experienced being rescued. Now, everybody that's a believer has been rescued. We've been rescued from the wrath of God to come. We've been rescued from sin. We've been rescued from the domain of the enemy. We've been rescued from a lot. But unless we've experienced in some tangible way, sometimes it's hard to understand that idea of rescue. Some years ago, this is 1988, the year that the Lord was supposed to come back. Those of you that are older, you'll understand that. In 1988, I was, I was heading a committee that was meeting out in Phoenix, Arizona, and I was to leave the next day. 
But on Friday, I'm at our book table on the university I was ministering at during those days. And what we would do, we'd have this book table, we'd set up a couple eight-foot tables, and we'd put all sorts of Christian literature out there, books and tracts and that sort of thing, and we'd hand it out to students and get in conversations about the Lord with them. And it was during this time that I started feeling just kind of ill to my stomach. And I told the other students, I said, you know, I'm going to have to go home and just rest a little bit because I'm not feeling that great. So I took off. They, they kept on manning the book table. I went home, got home, and Sandy said, well, do you like me to make you something to eat? And I said, you know what? I'm not feeling very good. I'm just going to lay down. And I went in the bedroom and began to undress. I was going to crawl into bed. And I said, "Hun, call the clinic. I need to come in. There is something seriously wrong with me. And uh, she got on the phone and called up the clinic and said, hey, I want to get my husband in. He's not feeling well. And they said, well, there's no doctors over here. You might as well just take him to the hospital. So she gets off the phone and, and tells me that, hey, they're not taking you at the clinic. You have to go to the hospital. I said, "Hun, we need to go to the hospital right now. We need to go to the emergency room. I said, I, I am crashing. And uh, so she goes to call the hospital, let them know we're on our way. I get up out of bed. I go down to our, we lived in this old Victorian house at the time. I go downstairs. We have this little tiny finished bathroom in the basement with a toilet and a shower. And then this little skinny hallway, probably, probably less than three feet, toilet, shower, and that's it. And because I was so ill, I, excuse me for this, I, I felt like I had to regurgitate. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> so I got down there, and I threw up in the toilet bright red blood. Just, just everywhere. I mean, just coated, coated the toilet. And I don't know if it was because, I don't know if it was because of what I saw or what was happening in my body, but at that moment, I just passed out and hit the floor. And I'm down there in the basement. Of course, Sandy's on the phone to call an ambulance. She's calling the ambulance. My poor wife is, is pregnant with our fourth child. And uh, she's calling the ambulance. I'm passed out on the floor, blood all over the place. And uh, so I remember kind of coming to. I didn't feel like I had any control over my, over my muscles or anything like that. But... I realized that what was going on around me. First, they brought down a stretcher into the, into the basement, and that didn't work, so they took that out, and then they brought down a chair for me to sit on. They carried me out on this chair, got me out on the stretcher, got me to the, to the hospital, moved me onto the uh, emergency cart where they started cutting off my clothes, you know, and all these things that they do. I was in intensive care for seven days. I took, during that time, 30 pints of blood. Now, the human body only holds about 10 pints of blood. So they were putting it in, and about as fast as they were putting it out, I was losing it through this, through this bleeding ulcer in my stomach. And so they had a tube down my... I know, this is gross. Sorry, you guys. So they had a tube down my nose, and, there, and a clear tube, and so I can see this blood being pumped out. And I know things are not getting better. They're not getting better. Because I see this coming out of, of my body, you know. And so the doctor comes in and says, you know what? The drugs aren't helping. We're going to have to take you into surgery. So they took me into surgery. I got out of surgery later that day. And it was, for whatever reason, it was just a terrible experience. I mean, I felt terrible. Uh, my, my, anyway, I won't get into, the, into the, a lot of it. But it was a terrible experience. 
A day later, nothing has changed. The doctor comes back in and says, Greg, we're going to have to take you back into surgery. You know, I've never prayed harder in my whole life than I did at that moment. I was just praying, God, no, no, not back into surgery, Lord, anything but that. The Lord answered that prayer. Uh, I got out of intensive care in a few days and then a few days out of the hospital. But when I was whole again, I felt like I had been rescued. I wanted to thank everybody. I wanted to thank each one of those EMTs that crawled down in that little basement that hauled me out of the basement. I wanted to thank every doctor that worked on me. I wanted to thank the nurses that would come in day by day and just help me get better. I wanted to thank everybody. So this is what we did. We took out an ad in the local paper, and we just thanked as many of those people that we knew by name. said, thank you. Thank you. And although we didn't use these words at the time, thank you for rescuing me. If you have been rescued, you know what that feels like. You know what Jesus Christ has done from us, headed for certain damnation, but Jesus intervened and rescued us. Yeah, yeah. But since we've been rescued, keep seeking those things above. He goes on and says another thing. He uses this other term, uh, reconciled that we have been reconciled. That there was this dividing wall between us and God. There was uh, um, enmity and hostility between us and God, the Bible teaches us. And it isn't all one-sided. There is, there is feelings of God towards us away from Christ, and there's feelings of us towards God that are, that are hostile one to another. And so there's this dividing wall. But in Christ, that wall has been removed. And so that hostility has been removed as well. Now again, if this has happened to you on a tangible uh, level, on a relational level, you can accept this or understand this a lot better. That if you've had a relationship that you were at odds with someone and then that relationship was healed, that's what this is like. This is that, that being reconciled to God. Sometimes we don't see that, but because... Because before we became Christians, we didn't even think about being reconciled to God. But we were separate at the time. Aliens, the Bible calls it, apart from the, the, the commonwealth of Israel and the promises of God. But now we've been reconciled. Here's the last word. Redeemed. We've been redeemed. Since we've been reconciled, let's focus on the things above. Since we've been um, rescued, let us focus on the things above. Here's the last thing redeemed. We've been redeemed. What this means is taking something of lesser value and making it into something of greater value. That's why I love these baptisms that we do up here and the stories that people share. I love hearing about what God has done in people's lives. I love hearing the changed life because when God comes in, he changes everything. And he throws out the old and he begins the new. And you know what? We're never quite perfect. We're never quite perfect. But you can tell that God has done something in somebody's life. They have been redeemed. God has taken ashes and given beauty in their place. That is redemption. That is taking something of little worth and making it into something of great worth. So that's why Paul, in this particular section, says, therefore, 
He's referring back to this place in Christ. Since we have been raised in this way. Here, I'll read it for you again. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then these words, set your mind on the things above and not on the things of the earth. I think this is the key phrase of growing in Christ or renewing our life in Christ. Seek the things above, set your heart on the things above and not on the things of earth. Thankfully, Paul breaks this down in chapter 3. In verses 5 through 11, he begins to talk about those things which we should avoid. You know, those things of earth, you know, that we're going to avoid and turn our back on. But he also, in, cha- in uh, verses 12 down through 17, talks about those things we should be doing. And verses 16 and 17 are a culmination of all those things. And those are the verses I want to leave with, you, leave with you this morning. Those verses that talk about how we can renew our life in Christ. And here they are, verses 16 and 17 of chapter 3. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So here's a couple things that we can do, really a few things that we can do to renew our life in Christ. Number one, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Just a few words to look at. First, this word dwell. It means to inhabit, to make a home, a habitation. And then this word richly, which means abundantly, elaborately, generously. Now, when you think about letting the word of God dwell in you, or more specifically, in this case, the Word of Christ. When you let the Word of God dwell in you, what does that look like? Now, that might be a little too personal. So why don't you look at the person right in front of you? What would it look like in their life? What would it look like if the Word of God was dwelling in their life? What would that look like? Now, think about that. Would that mean just... Like reading your Bible every day? Would that mean like listening to a sermon on Sunday? Would that mean like, you know, listening to Christian radio? What exactly does the word dwelling in us look like? This is more than rhetorical. I want you to think about that. Okay, you've thought about it. Now that you've thought about that, what does it look like to have the word richly dwelling in you. We kind of get an idea what it, what it, what it's have the word dwelling in us, but what's it like to have the word richly dwelling in us? Whatever it is, it has to be more than just dwelling in us. Guys, it's this idea that God's word is active in our life, that we are taking it in, that we are people of the book, that it is the object of our constant study, that God is doing something in his word. Guys, I would say for those that are struggling in their relationship with the Lord, that it traces right back to this point. How much are you in the Word of God? 
Because we got this battle going on back and forth with this tangible world. We got this battle going on that's stealing our joy. We got this battle going on that's, that's challenging our faith. This battle that goes on day by day. And sometimes our faith wanes. But when we're in the Word, it reminds us of what Christ has done and what Christ has said. It puts our heart and our mind and our head on the things of God, and it puts those other things away from us. When we think about focusing on the things above and not on the things of earth, I think it means just that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know what that means for us as individuals, but I know this for me. It means that I need to be in the Word more than, than I'm watching TV, or I need to be in the Word more than I'm uh, uh, you know, doing these other things of the world, so to speak. That that has to be something in my life that has a central place. Now, I want to get very practical with you just for a moment. I know some have great difficulty in having a, having a consistent uh, um, daily quiet time with the Lord. Let me help you. Here are three practical essentials to having a daily quiet time. Number one, you have to have a place. You have to have a place that you meet with the Lord. There has to, wherever that is, whether it's the fifth stool at your island, uh, in your home, or whether it's in the, the bathroom, or whether it's in the bedroom, or whether it's in the study, or whether it's in the basement, wherever it might be. Or maybe it's in your car when you get home from work at the end of the day. Or maybe it's in the bathroom at work during the day. Wherever that might be, everyone needs a place. Because if you don't have a place, it's not going to happen. You know, if you're just going to think, well, you know, I'll just, I'll just you know, what's ever available to me, I'll do that. You need a place. Secondly, you need a time. When are you going to do it? Now, years ago, these days, I get up early in the morning and, and uh, pray, seek the Lord early in the morning. But back in the day when I was going to college, I would, get up at, um, uh, I would get up early to go to school. So in the night when I got back, before I started with my studies, I'd always have my quiet time then. And to me, that was still putting God first. I'm putting you first before I do, do any of these studies. You're, you're first. But there was a time that I set up. We need a place, we need a time, and here's the last one. We need a method. We need a method. Without a method, we're just going to go willy-nilly all over the place. Pretty soon we're going to lose vision, desire, and we're just going to give it up. Get a reading through the year study Bible, or there's many apps on, on, online now that are so good, so encouraging, so inspiring, um, and keeps track of your reading record and all those things. A place, a time, and a method. That's how we can get the Word of God dwelling in us. Paul says here, under this first thing, let the Word of Christ richly dwell in you. First, we must build a dwelling place for Him. Secondly, we must allow Him to reach or to, to richly dwell in us. Letting the Word of God richly dwell in us. Third, we must also allow it to leave. Look at these verses again here in first, uh, or in Colossians, where it says, uh, uh, 
Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and giving thanks. You know, this is going to flow out of us. If we fill ourselves up with God's word, that's going to flow out of us. And that's what's happening here. And this is what happens. This is what happens throughout Scripture. Early in the book of Acts, when God poured out his spirit upon the early church, You'll remember this account of Peter and John going up to the temple and they see a a lame man at the temple gate and the lame man is begging for alms. And Peter and John look at him and said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man gets up and begins leaping and shouting and praising God. Well, What happens to the religious people is they're wondering, what is going on here? And so they call these disciples in, John and Peter, and they call them in and say, by what name and by what authority are you doing these things? And of course, Peter responds. He says, we are doing these things in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified and who God raised on the third day from the dead. Now, Peter hadn't read that book, How to, how to uh, uh, Influence People and Win Friends sort of thing. Um, but he's telling, them, he's telling them, he's speaking with confidence and boldness that this is what has happened. And they, they you know, decide, hey, there's really nothing we can do about this. Here's the guy healed. Here's their testimony. So what they say, they say, you guys can't go out anymore and preach. In fact, it says, it says they ordered them not to go out anymore. And then just a little bit farther down the chapter, you, you read, and then they continue speaking with boldness. It was inside them. They were full of it, and so they were speaking it out to those around them. And so it is going to come out when we are filled up with God's word. Now let me ask you, is your life in Christ waning? This is the first habit to cultivate. Let the word of God richly dwell in you. It means something different for each one of us. Here's the second thing. Letting the word of God richly dwell in us. Here's the second thing. Cultivate a heart of thanksgiving by remembering God. In the Old Testament, there is the account of the Israelites going into the promised land. I have it marked here in my Bible. God says this to them. He says, You shall remember the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you should whether you would keep his commandments or not. He goes on to say, as you read down a little bit farther, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold multiply and that that what you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord. He goes on to say a little bit later, otherwise you may stretch out Otherwise, you may say in your heart, by my power and by my strength and by my hand, I have gained this wealth by myself. And then the Lord says, but it is he who has given you the power to make wealth. 
Several years ago, when we bought our home, it was, just, it was just an act of God. It was just a miracle that we found this place at the price that we, that we found it at. And how we found it was a miracle. We actually found it by mistake. We were going to another house to look at another house, and we, we by mistake, stopped at this house and went in. And the people inside let us in. And we looked at their house, and we made an offer, and we, we eventually got the house. That was our first home. It was our only home. We still live in that home today. But I remember when we got that home, how we would thank God almost at every meal. We'd pray together, thank God, thank you for this food, thank you for this beautiful house, thank you for this house you've given us, this, this, is, this is a miracle from you. And we'd, we'd, we'd pray together as a family, and, and even by myself, I would thank the Lord for what he's done, giving us this, this beautiful house. But it wasn't too many years later, I felt like uh, George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life. You know, this stupid house, the roof leaks, and you know, this is going on. And Sometimes we forget all that God's done for us. We forget the many, many blessings that he's lavished on us. I remember about 15 years ago, I was leaving, our, I was leaving the last church I served in, and I was looking around to see where God would be taking our family next, and I... I I think there's about a half a dozen opportunities or so out there, and I was looking at different things, and none of them seemed right. It just didn't seem right. I was talking to one person in Bellingham, Washington. You know where Bellingham, Washington is? That's about as far north and as far west as you can get and still be in the United States, Bellingham, Washington. It's like at the tip of the western United States. And the guy said to me, why would you want to come to Bellingham, Washington? And I thought to myself, yeah, why would I want to go to Bellingham, Washington? Anyway, nothing seemed right. Nothing seemed right. And then one day, I get a call from the pastor of this church at the time. He says, Greg, you want to go out for breakfast? We went out for breakfast. And at that breakfast meeting, he said, what would you think about coming to Lake City Church and, and uh, running the small group ministry for us? In that very moment, I knew that that was the Lord. In fact, I told him so. I said, this is God. This is the Lord. We've been looking around for a place to go, and nothing seems right. This is God. And I went home, I told Sandy, hey, this is what happened. This is God. Sandy's like, well, let's pray about it. You know, let's, let's think this through. Let's not, you know. And, uh, but sure enough, that, that, that happened. And I remember the first Sunday I was here, First Sunday, one Sunday, I'm at, at our old church. The next Sunday, I'm here, sitting right over in this section right here, worshiping the Lord, and the tears are streaming down my face. I'm just like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. This is you. This is entirely you. And how long after that that I, that I thought, thank the Lord for what he had done. But not so much these days. It's kind of waned, you know? In fact, it's not always easy. There's still relational issues that you deal with. There's still policy issues. There's still financial issues. There's still all these, all these issues. In fact, my best friend, Pastor Dave Bechtel, our children's pastor, was kind of needling me the other day. And uh, this kind of went on and on, and pretty soon I walked over to him. I said, Dave, there's been only two people in my life that I've wanted to punch 
and now I'm going to have to change it to three. And then I gave him a big hug, but it was probably a harder hug than I should have gave him. I'm just saying that God's blessings in our lives, we need to recount those things that God has done, both spectacular and subtle, both the spectacular things that he does, but also those subtle things that he does day by day. You know, the Bible tells us that every good gift comes from above. That every good gift comes from above. So if there's anything good going on in our life, that is directly from the Lord. But think about this. Even our breath that we breathe, that's given by the Lord. I mean, the strength to build wealth, as it said there to the Israelites in Deuteronomy, even the strength is given you. All those things are given us. You know, we don't often thank God for our health until we don't have it. Until we don't have it. And then if we get it back, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You want to renew your life in Christ? Begin to cultivate a life of thanksgiving. See God in the smallest of things. Everything that happens around you, begin to give praises to God. You know, this was the, this was the hit on the Romans. Because the Romans, although they knew uh, uh, God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks. Because they didn't see him in their lives. They looked, they looked beyond that. They didn't see God's involvement in their lives. Let it not be so for us, but let us give thanks. So here's the second thing. Cultivate a heart of thankfulness unto the Lord. And then finally, here's the last thing. Whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is the third habit. Now, Paul here has listed a, a bunch of things. And in these last two verses, he's, he's basically summarizing what he has said up to this point. And in this very last verse, whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, he's summarizing it all in one verse. Government authorities try to make enough laws to kind of keep people doing the right thing. But Christianity isn't like that. Christianity is walking according to the Spirit. Now, we know there's some things we should do and shouldn't do, but there's too many things to keep writing laws and laws and laws and laws on how we should respond and how we should do this, how we should do that. So here's the catch-all. Whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means do it as though you are serving the Lord. Not your earthly master or your earthly boss or your parents or your pastor or some other. Do it as unto the Lord like you're serving the Lord. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. Listen to these words. Whatever you do, do all. And these words in word and deed are really referred to as spectrum words. They mean from one end to the other end. Like Paul says, I pray night and day for you. He's not literally praying all day and all night. It's, it's a tell of the breadth of his prayers. And here where it says, in word and deed, it's talking about the breadth of life. All that you do, do it in the name of Jesus. Do it to honor him. And this brings us full circle. Back to Colossians chapter 3. 
in the beginning verses. Therefore, you have been raised up with Christ, so keep seeking those things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Where Christ, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. When we do these things, Christ becomes our life. That's what our hearts yearn for. That's what our spirits yearn for. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We quickly become dissatisfied with this life, with its, with its goals and its uh, objectives and the things we're supposed to be doing. We quickly become dissatisfied. But we will never be dissatisfied with Christ. We will never be dissatisfied with Him. We will never be dissatisfied with giving all for Him, for living it all for Him. Come, Jesus. Come, Jesus, into our lives. Come, Lord, correct, woo, draw us near to you, we pray. Lord, bring that change which our spirits long for. And Lord, empower us to do that which you're asking us to do. Guys, let's stand to our feet this morning. We're going to pray in closing. The worship team is coming. If you just close your eyes and shut yourself in with the Lord, I just want to pray over you this morning. This is really a holy time. So I would just ask you, just just shut yourself in with the Lord. Just let this just be you and the Lord Jesus. There's a lot of things to think about. What's going to happen after this? Where I'm going to go? What's going to happen this week? Things I need to deal with. But just for this one moment, just give yourself this. Just for this one moment, shut yourself in with the Lord. Close your eyes. It's just you and him. There are several in this place this morning and many, many more online watching that if you were going to be honest, you would say that, yes, my life in Christ has waned. I don't have the zeal I once had. I don't have the faith I once had. I don't have the hope I once have. I am waning and I need help. Lord Jesus, woo us like never before. Woo us close to your side once again. Lord, may we find everything our heart longs for in you. May there, not, may there be no other distractions in our life, but may you captivate us, arrest us, apprehend us once again, Lord, for the things of you. Lord, let that hunger grow. Lord, I'm praying it for those on my right, those on my left, those here in the front, those in the balcony, Lord. Let it be the case. Let none be left out this morning. Lord, let each sense your hand upon them. Let them feel your breath on their neck as they draw, as you draw them close. Lord, let it be. Let it be in this moment. And Lord, let it bring transformation. Let it bring transformation. 
This world has nothing to offer. This world has nothing to offer. Only momentary pleasure. But you, Jesus, bring joy for a lifetime, deep, lasting joy for this lifetime and the life to come. Lord, let us see it. Let us see it. And while your heads are bowed, you're shuttling with the Lord. Join me in prayer now for those that are here that want to make a first-time commitment to Christ. You see, this is where it all starts. It all starts by taking ourselves off the throne and putting Jesus in his rightful place. Lord, I've been ruling my life, but now I want to put you as Lord over my life. I want to put my faith and trust in you that you will save me from the wrath of God to come, from my sins, from myself, and that you will give forgiveness that I might live with you in all eternity. That's you this morning. You can make this decision decision in this very moment. Just put your hand over your heart right where you're standing and just pray along with me. Lord Jesus, I want to say thank you for pursuing me. I want to say thank you for bringing me to this point. I want to say thank you, Lord, that you did not cast me aside when I rejected you, but you kept on after me. And now this day, I lay my life down before you afresh. I give you my life anew, Lord. This world, I have found found little happiness here, little enduring happiness. But now I want you and the things of you. Lord, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my waywardness. Lord, draw me close. Bring me close. Save me that I might live with you for all eternity. Thank you, Lord. Fill them. Fill them, Lord. Meet them. Meet them in this moment. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lord, begin that house cleaning even now. Lord, let that change come that they know, yes, this was the day that Jesus saved me, that I became born again. Lord, let it be the case. Let it be the case. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. May he equip you for every good thing to do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we say thank you. Let's give him praise. We give you praise, Lord Jesus. Lord, we say thank you for pursuing us, for not letting us go, but having that word in its season that plants a seed that yields fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. Lord, let it be so for us that have heard your word today. Lord, let it take root and let it bring forth a bountiful harvest in our lives and in your kingdom. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.